Hey everyone, welcome back to 51%'s Crypto Research Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. Today in the podcast, I have Anthony Lasardi, a director at the Ethereum Classic Cooperative. This is a great follow-up since I just had Eric Connor to discuss Ethereum. To avoid any confusion, in the podcast, we'll talk about Ethereum Classic as ETC and Ethereum as ETH. Ethereum Classic is the smaller chain, valued at a billion, whereas Ethereum is the larger chain, valued at over 20 billion. For those who are unaware, Ethereum forked away from its protocol and thus created Ethereum Classic when there was disagreement about how to handle a bug in the system. This bug was a $168 million venture fund called the DAO, where 3.6 million Ether was stolen. Basically, Ethereum Classic chose to continue business as if this happened, featuring true immutability, whereas Ethereum decided to undo this major issue. This is an excellent episode for all crypto investors in understanding what happens after a hard fork. This is because forks happen all the time. We have Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, etc. This conversation really dives deep into what happens to developer mindshare, dApps, resources, everything following a hard fork. So it's truly educational. Last, for those who are just against Ethereum Classic altogether, this is a great episode and we urge you to listen because you can learn something from any development team. You either find something you didn't know or you find a great opportunity that's being overlooked. This is why we'll continue to have guests from every type of blockchain because we either learn something we didn't, we figure out we don't like the chain, or we find an opportunity. Separately, for our listeners, you can visit 51pct.io and enter your email address and get our latest deep dive and valuation model totally free, the full report. All you have to do is enter your email. So following the episode, visit our site, enter your email, and see what we're bullish on. With that, here's my conversation with Anthony Lasardi. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to 51%'s Crypto Research Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. And today I have on Anthony Lasardi of the ETC Cooperative. Anthony, how's it going? Hi, Tom. It's going good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So just so everyone's aware, um, so that no one's confused, we're going to be talking about Ethereum Classic today, the fork of the main Ethereum chain that happened after the DAO disagreement. Uh, So for reference, Ethereum Classic is ETC. And the larger Ethereum is known as ETH ticker. Um, and with that, Anthony, tell us how you got started with crypto. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to make one small comment there. Uh, ETC isn't a fork. The fork was actually Ethereum had made a fork, and ETC was the group that just continued on without the the change. Interesting. Now that's yeah. that's why we're here to learn about it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So uh, tell us how you got started in crypto, and then and then we'll get into the fork. Uh, I first got started in crypto in 2014. I was kind of just buying tiny little coins on Reddit and uh, not really interested in the tech at all. Didn't really know too much about it other than I wanted to pick the next Bitcoin. At the time in 2014, I guess I didn't realize that Bitcoin was the next Bitcoin. Um, If I had realized that, that would have been better. (laughs) But after that, I kind of started getting interested more in the tech and I heard about Ethereum and I heard, you know, just all these other things you could do with it. And I was kind of excited about it, you know, started reading more about at the same time about the philosophy of Bitcoin and understanding exactly what it is that cryptocurrencies give us and how they give it to us, because both of those things are vitally important to 
making sure that cryptocurrency actually works and doesn't just become another PayPal or another bank or another Venmo or that type of thing. And yeah, then I just for how I got interested in ETC was I was interested in Ethereum and I thought we were all on the same page that, uh, you know, we don't change the blockchain. We don't change people's transactions because we'll eventually lead to a point where everybody can just vote on everybody else's balance and everybody else's uh, going on on the blockchain and a majority could always disenfranchise a minority no matter whether they were good or bad, which was the main thing, you know, with the DAO attacker, I'm probably getting a little off topic. People felt that the DAO attacker was inherently bad. And, you know, I would actually like to see that tried and, and proven in court. Uh, yeah, no, but before we, uh, yeah. before we go into the DAO, just for yeah. those who are unaware, I mean, let's go into, uh, it's a good segue. Let's go into why, um, it, mm-hmm. let's go into what happened. So just, just give us your quick take on what happened. Yeah. So essentially about 50 million dollars worth of ethereum got taken by an unknown entity obviously against the spirit of the contract on the blockchain i don't think anybody knowingly put ethereum into that contract uh myself included thinking that you know somebody is going to be able to start withdrawing massive amounts of it and then the hard fork was this on Ethereum side was essentially to invalidate what happened there and make it so it was if it never happened. Uh, basically restore everyone's balances to what they were and remove the balance of the DAO hacker. And Got it. So uh, basically the, the DAO was a venture capital fund, I believe, and it raised around 170 million bucks and there was a bug in there that allowed Ether to be stolen and around... You know, three point six million after was stolen. I, I think that's north of seven hundred million dollars in value today. So it's a big deal. Um, and now, basically, you know, is it like factual that Ethereum is the fork, or is like that an argument? Like, how do you figure out which is the fork and which is the main chain here? Well, uh, on the software side, on the network deployed, Ethereum has to be the fork because Ethereum had a change that required all the clients to update. So yeah, Ethereum is the fork in that in that sense. Um, I don't yeah, I don't see uh, how you would be able to say that ETC is a is the fork other than maybe a software fork. But ETC is the main network. Um, Got it. Yeah. That's interesting. And so what are the main differences between before we get into a deeper discussion on governance and, and immutability, I mean, what are the main differences between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic? Are there differences in transactions per second, miners, anything there? Yeah, there's definitely differences. Uh, ETC does about maybe 10% of the transactions that ETH currently does. I think it was like, yeah, probably somewhere around there, maybe maybe 8 to 10%. Um, we're obviously a lower market cap, though... Relative to our market cap, we actually have very substantial volume. So even though we're about a billion in market cap, we do about 200 million in volume a day, two to 300. And uh, that's actually quite large compared to larger cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, where they only have, uh, they have volume that's maybe 5% of their market cap, whereas ours 
fluctuates anywhere between 10 to 20% of our market cap. And got it. That's interesting. So, yeah. so there are a few there, there are, are a few differences. technical differences there. Um, so just going on between the two communities, is there a lot of animosity between Ethereum and Ethereum Classic? Because from the outside, I don't really see it. Uh, you know, I see more animosity between something like Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, but mm-hmm. I'm wondering what your take is there. No, there's not that much animosity. We're obviously working also towards reducing that since our tech stacks are so similar. We don't actually see the reason to have so much animosity. We think that there's a lot more. This is both on the ETC. This is for the ETC cooperative and on the Ethereum Foundation side. Both of us kind of just don't see the need for fighting there. My own personal belief is that I can better... Uh, export my ideas and my beliefs to friends than I can to enemies. So in that case, too, I don't see um, a real good reason for ETC and ETH to fight. The only part I get passionate about is making sure that, you know, we properly represent history. If you're on the side of weak subjectivity and you think that there are... And that's an Ethereum term, by the way... um, or one that they use themselves. But if you think that there's cases where, you know, the community can intervene in the going on of other people's accounts, like what happened in the DAO attack, then that's fine, but you should just own it. Um, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to get into the governance side of it mm-hmm. as well. Um, but, you know, that's an interesting take. So mainly, you know, crypto and Ethereum has been built on this idea that everything should be immutable. We should have a record that can't be changed. And that has far-reaching consequences for the value of the network, the, everything built on the network. So, you know, what's your take there? I mean, was this just anti-religious for you? Or was this like, are there, do you feel any type of, you know, okay, this was a bug, you know, we should have changed this. This kind of makes some sense or, you know, is this the DAO's fault? Yes. Yeah, so it's not so much a religious matter as it is a practical matter to me. Um, I could see how it may seem religious in a way in that we're having a very strict adherence to immutability. But, you know, these are public, uh, publicly readable blockchains where anybody can see any transaction. And so right now, the only way that we make sure that our blockchains stay uh you know, kind of pure and uh, unattacked by others is by just agreeing to our set of rules and following it. What will happen when we sacrifice rules is that people will eventually move towards, you know, they'll move towards making more and more changes and having more and more of an active governance role over the network. And that's something that can be very, very dangerous long-term because you can end up in situations where rather than having laws and courts uh, and as impartial of people as you can find deliberating over things, you have people who are very large economic stakeholders in the very system uh, largely informing decisions. And that long-term is not very good. It's... uh, it would be really bad. I did a Twitter poll the other month asking people if members of a bank should be able to vote on everybody else's account balance. And the response was overwhelmingly no. 
uh, I think it's a very practical thing that we all kind of understand. And then we end up in other instances where it seems more excusable, but we fr- quickly forget that there are laws and there are you know, nearly 200 countries in the world that provide you some sort of recourse if somebody steals from you. Uh, so you just have to approach things in that way rather than changing the blockchain. The blockchain. No, that's interesting. And, you know, another point on this is, you know, my concern for Ethereum Classic is, is kind of simple. It's look, I understand that Ethereum's blockchain should be immutable and that makes a lot of sense. But, Mm -hmm. you know, at what point do you think that it's like, okay, Ethereum made this decision to undo a serious problem and now it's going to be immutable forever? Or, you know, in my mind, it seems like something like this might happen again. You know, where does, the main Ethereum chain draw the line on undoing something that's bad, like this bug. Yeah, uh, I'm honestly not quite sure. And it's getting into a very subjective area too. Because you see with the parity bug, for example, uh, literally nobody controls that money now. Um, It's very obvious that 100% of the people want the money back. And if they're given their money back, it won't actually disenfranchise anybody else who's in possession of it. So it's very weird to see that the Dow, you know, attack was reversed, but this one wasn't. So um, just so the listeners yeah. know, Anthony, the, the parity bug is, I think it was around 300 million bucks in Ethereum back in, I think last November was locked in parities, uh, accounts created by parity, correct? Uh, yeah, somewhere around there. It was a, okay. it was a good deal of money. It was larger so, I mean, than the Dow. So if oh totally. So if um, well, I mean, I guess it's larger. I think the Dow might be larger today in in ether, in ether value. But yes, I guess to your point, where does Ethereum draw the line? Because it seems like uh, ETH Ethereum is not going to undo this parity bug, but they undid the Dow bug. So do you think that the Dow bug was a learning curve, and now going forward, it's immutable or? Because in my mind, if going forward, Ethereum is immutable, then there wouldn't be a need for Ethereum Classic. But I feel like it's impossible to know where the line is drawn. Yeah, I think it's very hard to know where the line is drawn. And I don't think that... uh, I don't think once you violate mutability, you immediately become... You can really become immutable again. Um, By definition, you're not. uh, I guess maybe historically, it's possible, but... You know, there is a lot uh, of discussion on the Ethereum side. And I think a lot of the community has actually embraced the fact that they reversed the DAO and they seem to be going more towards, you know, governance, which is all well and good. That's up to them. Um, My hope is to convince people otherwise, but yeah. No, it's interesting. So basically, in your mind, there's no way to actually know where the line is drawn on immutability and that that has far reaching consequences for changing things in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess moving on, on this same light is the idea of governance and governance is deciding what changes are going to be made in the network. Um, I'm a huge fan of real governance and active governance. It's a huge area of thought. Um, we just had a MakerDAO podcast and I put out a deep dive on MakerDAO and Basically, makers, token holders can actually vote on referendums today. Other protocols like ZeroX are rolling out this functionability. So, uh, you know, where is governance going for Ethereum Classic or Ethereum? And and how do you think that it'll play out in the future? Because, you know, the ability to change the network is, is a huge idea. 
Yeah, of course. And you should be able to change the network. Um, definitely not arguing against upgrades to the network. Definitely believe that this is very early stages technology that in many cases needs some improvement. But I'm so I guess the thing is uh, governance is a very kind of like you said, it's a very big, broad reaching term that fully encompasses a variety of different actions. And when it comes down to it, the one type of ETC is very open to governance in worthwhile network upgrades. For example, we had an upgrade to implement a known monetary policy. So this way, uh, going forward into the future, we can know what the coin distribution curve is going to be, which I think is very important from uh, from a fiscal policy perspective. And we've disabled the, the what do you call it, the the difficulty bomb so that we can continue with proof of work mining because on the ETC side, we felt that POW was currently the best way to achieve consensus on a network for a variety of reasons that I'll gloss over right now. And really when it comes down to it, what ETC means and what a lot of people mean when they resist governance isn't the type of governance that implements a network upgrade. It's the type of interventionist governance that wants to intervene on other people's, uh, you know, property on the blockchain. Got it. And so that's the type that network, we oppose. So network governance, like upgrading the network is fine with you, but changing the record of the blockchain is obviously not okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. All right. So, you know, that's, that's super interesting. So do you envision there to be major differences between Ethereum Classic and Ethereum's governance in the future? Or do you think that it's kind of going along the same trail? Or I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what's on the timeline for Ethereum Classic governance-wise. Yeah, I don't envision the networks departing too much on a technical sense anytime soon. Um, we actually might have a hard fork to implement some opcodes that Ethereum is implementing on top of some other things. Um, but yeah, I don't... The thing is, we, we're trying to approach this in a way that has currently worked just fine in, say, Bitcoin, where if you want to change, you know, you submit your ECIPs and you write code and then you convince people to run your code. And we just want to avoid a situation where we have very highly officiating bodies because that's another way we see that um, we could end up in a situation where those bodies end up going down uh, the interventionist path of, you know, interfering with other people's property which we just disagree with. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And for those who, are, who missed my last podcast, I had on Eric Connor of Ethereum, not Ethereum Classic. And we went into a deep dive on, you know, what Ethereum's doing on sharding and Casper and proof of work and all the upgrades that they have going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's definitely worth talking about what Ethereum Classic is doing to innovate and grow. And so, you know, Anthony, what are the you know, upgrades or what are the projects that Ethereum Classic is working on? Do you guys have sharding or proof of stake on the horizon? So, no, we don't have sharding or proof of stake. Um, Proof of stake, we don't think... Proof of stake is just a consensus mechanism, so it's not really something that improves the network 
too much in terms of throughput or that type of thing. It improves, it uh, just changes the security of the network. And from our perspective, though this isn't everybody, but for the majority of people in the community, it seems that uh, proof of work is the it's the consensus mechanism that currently works best. You know, in proof of stake, if somebody gets control of a majority of your to- tokens or a substantial amount, then they're free to, you know, always have that majority because you have to go through them to get the tokens. In proof of work, uh, if somebody makes a new miner, they're free to, as long as they have the, the money, to make a new miner and to make something better than somebody else's. So we're thinking long-term that proof of work is uh, going to stay just fine. In terms of upgrades though to etc obviously we don't want to we want to treat the base layer in a similar way to bitcoin we're obviously a lot newer than bitcoin though so we while we do tolerate some uh hard fork updates we are kind of trying to get towards a point where we have a very reliable base layer and we largely leave it alone so where we're expanding is focus on side chains etc dev for example has orbita that's going to allow for a lot of uh second layer growth connects network is coming to etc so that's additional second layer growth and uh, etc dev is also focusing on emerald platform which is going to be a set of very easy to use developer tools that essentially bring blockchain development to present day you know it already currently has a built-in block explorer you can deploy your own little test net you can uh manage accounts you've got gui functionality attached to it and they're rapidly building that out so i think where we'll see a lot of etc's advancements is in the tooling around making etc easy to use and accessible so that when people need high reliability of a blockchain, they can just uh, easily easily incorporate it. Whereas right now, a lot of programming on blockchain things is like programming in the 90s. Anthony, just going, I want to get into the, the specific projects that Ethereum Classic is scaling on. But, you know, another question I have for you is, you know, a broader discussion on forks and what does that mean for developers? Because... Can Ethereum Classic just benefit from all the work the Ethereum dev community does and just implement it, you know, three months later or, you know, the next day? I mean, is that a possibility or is that, am I making that sound way too easy? <laughs> um, we're not trying to be a copycat chain. So I don't think we would do that anyway, just out of the spirit of things. But on both the ETC and ETH side, we do believe that there's a, uh, there's ways that we can both mutually benefit from each other. So, for example, Ethereum uh, has taken interest in Sputnik VM, which is probably the fastest, best, lightest weight EVM implementation currently existing. Uh, and that's the Ethereum virtual machine, how the, how the network handles compute, correct? Yeah, and Sputnik VM is, was written by ETC Dev. And there's a couple other things, too, that we've just been talking about. They're just, uh, there's things where we can all benefit. It's really not so much copying each other unless uh, we consider the fact that, you know, for example, I have a cell phone 
and it has probably hundreds of thousands of lines worth of copy pasted code from from Linux in it or from BSD. Uh, so I don't think uh, it's really just it's not just a copying thing. I think there's a lot of places where we can work together to better advance things. And there's some places where, for example, Ethereum Foundation and ETC Cooperative, we are both uh, co-funding a peace bridge between the two networks where you can kind of move ETC and ETH between each other's networks. And we're, yeah. yeah. That's super interesting. So I guess, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out like what networks mean going forward in a world, because we're bound to have more forks of, you know, most projects. I mean, I, I, I think we'll definitely see more Ethereum forks in the future. Um, I've always had this idea that Vlad and Vitalik will have their own forks, but that kind of got blown up when they came together on Shasper. But, <laughs> you know, we'll see. But so you don't view, I'm just wondering, so do the devs on Ethereum Classic say, hey, Ethereum's working on sharding. They're working on, let's say, Raiden for higher throughput and, you know, running multiple chains at once. Do the Ethereum Classic devs say, hey, you know, let's not work on that. They're doing that we could take the code later and tweak it. Let's work on something else. Or like you're saying, is it more that you guys are all working on the same things? I'm just trying to figure that out. Uh, we're kind of just focusing on our own projects. You know, I, you could ask ETC dev, they would know better than me because I don't really have, I don't like talk, I talk to them, but I don't know their everyday going ons or what their plans are for that type of thing. I don't think that they're planning to just, you know, copy things from, ETH. Um, I think that we're just uh, we're all f- so focused, and where I'm trying to bridge people right now is we've been just focused on our own projects, very inwardly focused. So we're just not really that concerned with each other's projects too too much. But you know, whenever anything pops up that's interesting, then you know it may be worth sharing. So. Like I said, uh, Ethereum is very interested in Sputnik VM, for example, and getting that into mainline Go Ethereum. Got it. That's interesting. And you know, yeah. on and that it's developer- a two-way street is basically what I'm just trying to communicate. That we're not just trying to copy paste from ETH. This is this is open source software. This is how it works. Uh, we're all contributing to this large ecosystem, and we're more than happy normally to share. Our, well, our contributions, because that's what makes everything nice. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm looking at the on-chain FX rankings that Masari runs, and I, I know there's a lot more to this, and there, there's a lot of tidbits that don't make sense on the GitHub lines, but they do a great job of throwing out the GitHub lines added, and that's basically developer activity over the last year. And mm-hmm. Ethereum Classic actually has triple the number of lines added than Ethereum. It's at 1.7 million versus... 450,000. Um, so it seems like there's a lot of developer activity on Ethereum Classic. Yeah, we have a lot of developer activity. Obviously, like you said, um, Ethere- the GitHub lines thing isn't really very accurate, but we do have substantial development activity on ETC. Got it. That makes sense. So, yeah. you know, what is what are you seeing that you're trying to address in the community today when it comes to Ethereum Classic? Is it just education or is it more on attracting people to the project? It's kind of both and they kind of go hand in hand. Definitely education. Um, We have about 
two years of essentially just FUD and misinformation to kind of combat, you know, for a long time with ETC, especially at the start, we didn't have any money like to, to do different things. And so right now we, we, um, we're, we're just getting to a point where we have funding now and we can actually focus on improving awareness. For example, ethereumclassic.org up until maybe March or April this year was just a very outdated GitHub site that nobody could find any information on. And so there's a lot of places there where we're just, where we're just working on things and we're doing a lot of community and developer outreach in general too. For example, ETC Labs right just yesterday had their launch party where they announced six new projects that are going to be running on ETC soon because they're an incubator. And then tomorrow on the 27th, they're following up with an all-day bootcamp on how to write and code programs for ETC. So... Yeah, we're doing a good deal of developer outreach uh, in a lot of different ways, having different developers come to different conferences. For example, in May, I got invited to EdCon. And then in September, we invited a couple Ethereum people, Bob Summerwill and Virgil Griffith, to the ETC Summit uh, to give talks. And yeah, we're just try- we're just working together in a l- lot of different ways. And that's really what the ETC Cooperative is focused on. Got it. That's interesting. So I, I think we should address this head on just to get your take on it. But, you know, if, if I'm a developer and I'm building on a project, you know, am I going to value in your mind, like what's the, how do you convince a developer to say, Hey, you know, I don't want to work on Ethereum, which has, you know, choose your metric here. But the point is that regular uh, Ethereum ETH has way more dev activity mm-hmm. and more dApps and, and more going on. How do you convince that developer to say, Hey, you know, don't go on there, even though there's more going on, but come on here. So how do you envision developers deciding that? And, you know, why should they decide that? I think it's, it's a crux of Ethereum classic. And I think it's, it's addressed. It would it'd be very helpful for the listeners. Yeah. Well, it's, it really depends on what you need when you're programming on a blockchain. So if you think you need high reliability or if you think you need immutability, then you should definitely choose ETC. If you don't think you need it, then you know your choices are more open. And honestly, it's not that so much that you have to just choose one blockchain. You can use multiple blockchains. I think we're going to see that a lot going forward too with sidechains where you know a sidechain can interact with multiple chains as it is so there's not going to be any one particular thing it really depends on your needs and hopefully with etc dev we're going to see very good developer tools where you know all else being equal ethereum and etc being equal there's there's no reason to not just use what's coming default in the etc dev tools for example if those become your tools of choice and Yeah, I don't really think that people should consider themselves an ETH or ETC developer. If you're writing Ethereum code, you're writing code that can probably be deployed on a good half dozen legitimate Ethereum-based networks, to say nothing of the illegitimate forks. 
No, no, that's, that's interesting. So basically what you're saying is that Ethereum developers don't have to choose. They can work on both. And that there's two, there's actually two different use cases here. The one is on immutability because Ethereum Classic um, exists as if the DAO fork did happen. That didn't undo it. And then Ethereum exists with the change. Um, that's interesting. Has there been any other, I mean, any other problems other than the parity bug that you guys point to as reasons to build on Ethereum Classic? Because to me, the DAO is obviously huge, but for those new to blockchain and crypto, they really don't know what it is or remember it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, beyond just tools, and tooling is a major thing for developers, so I wouldn't say that, um, I would think that that's actually good enough for most developers. But yeah, I mean, in general, it's still... Easy. What do you mean by tooling, Anthony? Do you mean like the... What exactly is tooling on Ethereum Classic versus Ethereum? What are, what are the differences? Developer tools like Emerald Platform, for example, um, is in the process of becoming a very, very slick set of tools. You can actually already see it in Emerald's wallet where it's a very slick, well-performing wallet. And... Uh, that's the type of functionality that developers will eventually be able to have on all their projects. Okay. That's interesting. So that's what I meant by tooling. Okay. That's, that's interesting. So there are reasons to build on Ethereum classic and one of them is the better tooling. Yeah. One of them is the better tooling Uh, on a practical standpoint right now. ETC has about 40 to 50,000 transactions a day and ETH is about, 600,000. So if you're just concerned about economics, ETC is very cheap to build on right now. Um, Obviously, that would change if ETC's popularity increased. Uh, We think it will. But of course, by that point, we should have, you know, very easy to use, very easy to migrate to side chains. And just to kind of give people an example, because earlier I said, you don't need to build on just one blockchain uh portal network for example has their blockchain name service and that runs on every major ethereum based uh network right now and con contrast that with a project like original my on etc where they do uh document authentication and identity and now they're doing on-chain voting uh they even though they just run on ETC because they want that immutability. So there's two examples of projects there. One where you run on multiple blockchains because it makes the most sense. And one where you choose one blockchain because it makes the most sense. Got it. That makes sense. So I guess switching gears here a little bit, you know, who is the Vitalik of Ethereum (laughs) classic? You know, do you guys have one? And, you know, I say that because having a, a strong leader is important for a project. You know, Vitalik mm-hmm. is a physical person. Satoshi could be the NSA, but people, you know, <laughs> they get the story of it. So they surround themselves with it. Um, but I think Vitalik is moving, you know, becoming more quiet over the past few months. I've noticed a little bit. Um, I think one, because he's got a ton of work to do, uh, which he's doing, but also because he wants to show that, you know, Ethereum is more than just him. Um, yeah. And there's a great, core dev team there and they all have the core dev calls. They're all amazing people. You know, how does Ethereum classic, you know, lead, um, you know, who, who's the Vitalik here? Um, we intentionally don't have a Vitalik. Um, I personally think Vitalik is great. I like him as a person. He's a very nice guy. 
But yeah, we don't want that central figurehead um, because, and I think probably Vitalik realizes this too, at the start, having a central figurehead is very, very advantageous for what you just said. The fact that, you know, the fact that you have somebody everybody can rally around and somebody that everybody can just go and see, oh, this is, this is the guy who's in, who's in charge of our thing. Um, and I think that's a very powerful and useful thing, but I, it's a double-edged sword because the long-term you end up with this, well, this is a decentralized blockchain. And so how can we have a centralized leader? You know, um, if this is supposed to be something that everybody's in charge of. And so on the ETC side, we are completely happy taking the more difficult path, obviously promoting immutability, even when we lost all our major channels, and even when we got forced to use the ETC ticker instead of the ETH ticker by all the major exchanges. Uh, we stuck through that. We're fine sticking through not having a centralized leader. We don't want it because long-term we think not having a figurehead is actually very good for us. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's, I guess that's an interesting point because people want to see when, when you talk to centralization, there's, there's a ton of ways you can talk to centralization. It's who's the leader, you know, culturally Ethereum has Vitalik and the core devs, obviously. Uh, then you also have how to centralize or the nodes, um, the mining pools, the code base, there's a thousand different ways you could look at decentralization. Uh, so it seems like Ethereum Classic might have an edge on leadership decentralization, if I'm, if that sounds right. Yeah, or rather distribution. So, for example, when you look at ETC and you look at like companies working on ETC, you have IOHK and ETC Dev doing developer stuff. You have ETC Labs incubating. You have ETC Cooperative doing a lot of the community and awareness uh, type of activities. And then on top of that, you also have different people in charge of pretty much each and every other centralized thing around ETC. You know, we have different people in charge of the websites. We have different people in charge of the subreddits, in charge of the discords, in charge of the telegrams, all our other chat channels. In all of that, we have different people running them. And because we do, we end up in a situation where if one particular part or one particular group wants to do something, everybody else uh, has to agree. And if not, then everybody else has recourse. You know, if ETC Dev or IOHK ever decided to make a contentious hard fork, we would have recourse in the other, other developer team. Um, and it wouldn't be something where we could just easily disband our social layer or easily say, we're going this way. Uh, and that makes things harder in some ways, but makes us far more resilient in others. And I think you see the same thing with Bitcoin, where, for example, because of their nature and their start, the same people uh, don't run and own all the same websites and all the same subreddits and that type of thing, which is why you have the famous RBTC and R Bitcoin split and the uh, Bitcoin.com and .org split. And so we're kind of emulating that same thing where if that's going to happen, then everybody else still has some recourse. Got it. That's interesting. And yeah. Anthony, 
What do you think about the foundation? I mean, the Ethereum Foundation has a ton of resources. I, I don't know the number. I want to say around 100 million in funding. You know, what does Ethereum Classic have, and you know, how do you handle funding um, and and even grants? I mean, Ethereum just gave out I think three million grants and new projects. Um, so, what are your resources on Ethereum Classic? Um, and is it a problem if you don't have as much as Ethereum? No, it's not a problem. Um, obviously, Ethereum has a ton of resources to dedicate a lot of money to things. Uh, on ETC, obviously, we are smaller, but we still have substantial resources. So I can honestly speak to the financials of other groups, but you can look at their employee count and know that they have a good deal of resources there. So for example, I think ETC Dev has somewhere between uh, 15 and 20 people now. IOHK around the same. ETC Labs has maybe five to six people so far. And then at their core, not including the, the teams they're now incubating. And ETC Cooperative, though, the financials that I can speak to is that right now we're a few employees and we have several million in funding and we're working on raising further funds. Um, but I think that that amount of money that we have between all these groups is absolutely fine. I think there's something to be said for not having too much money. I think when you don't, um, when you can throw money at any project, it tends to harm your focus a little bit. And well, we saw that with EOS, they raised $4 billion and they don't know how to spend it. And they don't just, and they don't have any clear idea of, I mean, they have clear ideas. I, I, I'm not going to knock another project on this call, but they have ideas on how to spend, you know, raising a ton of money is one thing, but then deciding how to spend it is another problem. Yeah, of course. And you don't need that much money to run a sufficient blockchain. I think a few million is more than enough to develop and operate a blockchain. Got it. Um, and just, I guess, circling everything together, one of my questions for you is, um, you have Ethereum and you have Ethereum Classic. So if the developers start to decide, uh, if the Ethereum Classic developers start to decide, hey, you know, Ethereum now has good governance and we don't think they're going to make this DAO problem again. I, I think that's very subjective. It would be hard to get to that point. But mm -hmm. if they decide that and they start to leave Ethereum Classic, then there's, you know, less growth in the project. So the price of Ethereum Classic goes lower. Then there's less miners. So the immutability of Ethereum Classic kind of comes under question if the miners leave because the developers leave, um, if you get the circle I'm trying to draw here. So I guess, how do you argue to developers, you know, hey, we're immutable, but, you know, we're not immutable if there's no devs or no miners. So how do you argue the future of Ethereum Classic to, you know, keep miners on board, keep developers on board? Because, you know, it makes sense to me. I'm just wondering if the miners leave, then the immutability goes away, right? Yeah, um, I don't know. I would say that's a very big if. I don't see that happening. Hash rate is only going up. Developer count is only going up. Uh, transaction count is only going up. Um, price is going down along with the rest of the market right now, but uh, price has actually dropped a lot less than a lot of other cryptocurrencies. So I don't really, I just don't see that as a possibility um, in my view. Obviously, if all the developers left Bitcoin and the Bitcoin hash rate dropped, then yes, that would also affect their security. Same for Ethereum. Um, I just don't see it happening. 
Got it. That's interesting. Yeah. And Anthony, before I let you go, you know, what are, are there any recent events you want to talk about with Ethereum Classic or any, you know, major events that have gone on recently? Yeah. So we had our ETC Summit um, a couple months ago in September. It was great. A lot of great talks there. I would recommend everybody check it out at, what is it, etcsummit.com. And just this weekend in San Francisco, their ETC Labs is having their launch party. Um, so the launch party was yesterday, but the uh, developer bootcamp is tomorrow on Saturday. The entire day, I think the entry is either very cheap or free at this point. And so if you want to stop by, feel free to stop by. Uh, it's right in the heart of San Francisco. There's links on the ETC Labs Twitter account. And yeah, those are the major events happening. We also have you know a lot of meetups. So there's meetups in Korea, Taiwan, New York. Uh, I've attended a few of the New York-based ones. So NYC, ETC, you could... Uh, easily Google that and find it on meetup.com if you're interested in joining. Yeah, no, we'll definitely check those out. And Anthony, I just thought of another question, and I got to ask you before I let you go. So, you know, one of the bull scenarios for Ethereum Classic is that there's a very hard, contentious governance issue on Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. To drive people to the, their, you know, the ultra immutable chain, which is Ethereum Classic. You know, if it wasn't the parity bug recently, where hundreds of millions were locked away and, you know, people decided not to change it. Um, you know, what will cause, you know, it seems like if there's a big governance problem in the future, that'll drive mindshare to Ethereum Classic. So in my mind, if Ethereum were to redo the parity bug uh, or fix it as if it never happened, to me, that would drive people to Ethereum Classic. So I think that Ethereum's not fixing it so that they keep their devs and they keep their immutability. But, you know, what's your take there? Um, as far as the parity bug, maybe, yeah. uh, because I mean, if Ethereum fixed the parity bug, then there would be more of an argument for, Hey, this blockchain isn't actually mutable. Let's go to Ethereum classic. But if they don't fix it, then there's no reason to switch. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, th- my own opinion on that, and this is kind of why ETC and other blockchains are pro immutability is both of these things, the DAO hack and the parity bug, are bad things that negative, negatively affected people, right? But these things affected people in different ways. So in the case of the DAO hack, uh, they affected a substantial amount of people and they disenfranchised them. But in the parity bug, it, it affected and disenfranchised much fewer people. And so, in my view, uh, the majority or the not enough people cared that parity lost money. If there was some other hack where, say, the parity bug happened, uh, same people affected, and a hacker made off with three, whatever it is, $300 million worth of Ethereum. I still don't think that they would have forked and I don't think it's anything to do with ETC versus ETH. I think it's to do with the ambivalence of uh, people in that case. I think everybody cared very much about getting their $100 back 
after the Dow fork or their thousand dollars back, but they don't care about getting that three hundred million dollars back for, uh, for example, for the Parity Tech team, which. I really, really like the Parity Tech team, and they do so much good work for Ethereum. And nobody cares about refunding or restoring their balance. Yeah, so, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. So in that way, that's why ETC and other blockchains choose to stay immutable, so that we could stay entirely neutral in these obviously uh, very biased things that happen. Yeah. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. Um, my only two senses, if if there is a major, you know, negative governance debate on Ethereum over reversing something, uh-huh. I think that would be bullish for Ethereum Classic. But um, I don't know. That's just an up in the air kind of idea. Oh, I, I'd, I'd agree. It would be bullish for Ethereum Classic. I just don't think that that's the reason for not doing it. Got it. Okay. No, that that makes sense. Far more and, selfish yeah. uh, thing on the part of the community, and everybody's selfish. We're all human, which is why. Uh, on ETC and other blockchains, we try and acknowledge that we're human and leave the blockchain alone. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And I guess you're totally right that it would be, it would take a lot more to actually change the main chain. And I, I do find it funny that there isn't like a stronger move to refund the parity money. I know there was a lot of talk about it after it happened, but it seems like it just faded away. Yeah. I, I don't know what happened there, but, uh, I, I, I always, <laughs> Uh, I think I would very find it very funny if um, they did f- do the hard fork to refund the parity money, and then a small contingent uh, still maintained the non-hard forked version, but kept it. Yeah, down. then we then we'd have uh, <laughs> then we'd have way too many forks going on. People wouldn't know where to put their money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Anthony, um, is there anything else I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? Uh, no, I let you go. Awesome. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and I hope to have you back on again soon. Awesome. Of course, I'd be more than happy to. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast. Please rate and review it to help other people find it and visit 51pct.io for our latest research report.